Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 91. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And just the two of us this week, Leanne is out um, uh, doing some more fun and exciting things on her own, but she'll be back next week, we think. Um, we've got a good episode. She'll ep- definitely be back, and she's at a professional, you know, educatory, academic conference. It's exactly. not like she's doing something more fun. Um, so this week we're going to be looking at, we're sort of doing, um, I'm calling it like it's the 2019 Early Childhood a- a- Advocacy Boot Camp. We're sort of going to be looking at what the, what we think are the big advocacy fights currently underway in 2019. Um, so we're going to, it's kind of going to be like a lightning round. We're going to go through about sort of six or seven we think are, um, are boiling away in 2019. And then we're going to try and do a bit of an action item for everyone. So if it's something you're particularly interested in, we're going to hopefully give you a bit of advice for, for how to look. I'm kind of looking forward to that, Lisa. It might be fun to, there's actually a lot going on in the sector. There is. Do you know, someone sent me an email today and I thought, this is so true. They said, this is um, a, a strange year. We've both got a state and federal election, both with real prospects of positive change in the one year. It's unicorn stuff. <laughs> this doesn't come along very often. <laughs> yeah. That was very true. Um, uh, so we'll, we'll just go through a couple of things before we get to the, the main topic for tonight. Um, just a reminder that exploring the NQS is continuing. We're now pretty deep into the weeds of quality area two. Um, so element 2.1.3, which is healthy lifestyle, is out uh, this week. Now, I did. And you're po- such a proponent of that. I was going to say, I did post on Twitter. I so say, anyone who knows me personally is not allowed to laugh or comment on the fact that I am trying to explain to anyone what the concept of a healthy lifestyle <laughs> might be. Um, when people find out I'm a vegetarian, they're often surprised. But I say, look, don't be that surprised. All I did was replace meat with donuts, uh, which is <laughs> not necessarily the most healthy lifestyle. Well. My idea of physical activity is getting up from the couch to get another book. Um, so, but I'm not selling this episode very well, am I? I promise that no. I can actually talk it's, a little bit about. Don't the, do what he does. Yes, do what he <laughs> do, knows. That's right. I'm, an, I'm a huge hypocrite, but I promise that what I talk about is something you can do, even if there's no way I'm ever going to do it. Remember how Leanne's always trying to get us to like go hiking and go camping and climb mountains. I yes. don't know. Maybe that she needs to be. You think she doesn't know us or something? Oh, look, I think she just she's concerned for our welfare, Lisa, and we just don't have the heart to tell her it's too late for. Either of us, we've, yeah, it's not going to happen, yep. is it? Sure enough, no, <laughs> clearly not. <laughs> so uh, thanks to everyone who's supporting uh, the show uh, by by subscribing to Exploring the NQS um, on Patreon. That really um, helps us. And, uh, you know, I, I, those occasional times where I think, why am I now doing another weekly show on top of this one? It does kind of make it worthwhile when it's um, – and we're getting some good feedback. I think they're kind of useful to people. I think the, the short sort of 15-minute PD nuggets are quite, quite useful for people. Um the other thing I wanted to talk about before we go on to our quote of the week, which uh, uh, is, a, is a really good one this week, um, I thought we should, and I haven't, I haven't told Lisa we were going to talk about this, but given that our very first episode, which was actually just you and me as well, uh, by ourselves as well, Lisa, was, we, uh, was. The, the first thing we ever talked about was children in detention. So I think I wanted to just quickly acknowledge this is you know a little outside the early education sphere, but I'd argue for advocates it's actually not. I think we should acknowledge that um, that there are. Uh, well, according to the government, you know, that children have been largely removed from detention. There are apparently four children still there, but they are uh, within days away from going to the US. So 
I think we can. It, it's probably worth pointing out that you know that that's um, been a largely political decision by the government. I don't think you know they've suddenly had changes of heart and think that children don't belong in detention. But we should acknowledge that whatever, however, we've got to that point, um, it is a big win for advocates and it's a big win for people who have been fighting it sure this fight. Is. Um, and uh, we're recording this on a on a Wednesday night, so uh, yesterday we had the. Um, you know, the, the Labor and the crossbench sort of overturn government policy and say that doc- doctors can, um, heaven forbid, doctors who may know something about medical conditions will have a say in um, getting people who are, you know, mentally traumatised from five years of um, some of these island uh, prisons. All physically ill. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that, that's actually, you know, I, we, we've, you know, I think this podcast has a big streak of advocacy within it. And we should acknowledge they're, they're actually really big wins. And while the government, you know, and Scott Morrison will yell and, and say that, you know, this is, this is weakening Australia, you know, my view is this, this, is, um, this is reversing a pretty horrible um, last five years for Australia. And, you know, and, and, but full credit to the advocates like the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre and, um, and the Mums for Refugees and um, the Australian Medical Association who have been really sort of pulling for this stuff so uh, you know there's been a couple of glimmers of good news we can some of the details aren't so fun but you know no children in detention is, is a good outcome regardless of how we got there yep for sure absolutely now we're going to continue with our new uh our new segment which is quote of the week so um now we need uh, music for this you know i know i have still have no raw alert sound um and no quote of the week I'll, I'll, I'll see what i can do um so the quote this week is uh, from Justin Field, who's a, a New South Wales MLC uh, for the Greens, and he's their spokesperson on for early education. And the quote is, there is no place for early education to be run for profit in this country. So I think we can start from the premise that that's, uh, we are entirely in agreement. Do you want to give us the, the context of this quote, Lisa? Because I think you heard this quote in person from Justin himself. I did. I heard himself. it in per- a person. It was at um, the New South Wales Children's Services Forum organised a... Um, a- a, a what are they called? A forum, a political forum, where we had um, the Labor Party shadow minister, the minister, and um, the Green spokesman for early education in New South Wales. They all spoke, and about two hundred people from the sector. They all spoke for about you know, twenty minutes each, and then there was questions. And at one stage, this is what Justin Field said: that there's no place for early education to be run for profit in this country. Now, I know even some of our listeners would, you know, heartily disagree with that comment, but it was, you know, like it's pretty strong. You know, a lot of people have said we need to unscramble the egg and things like that, but he was just very straightforward. Shouldn't be done. Shouldn't be making money out of children. Yeah, absolutely. And look, and, you know, I've spent the last probably five years hearing from people is that this is too big an ask and we need to be reasonable in our advocacy and we need to, you know, ask for what's achievable. And um, I, I just never agree with that. And people call me naive and God, God knows what else. But um, we know what's best for children, which is that services are not for profit and and incredibly well resourced and incredibly well funded. And if we know that's right, we may as well demand it and and it'll, it'll happen Eventually, and but it, and these... before anyone says anything, we know that there's really, really great for-profit services out there, and yeah, we hope you keep being for-profit, great for-profit services. Yeah, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that morally, no one should be making money out of children. No, and look at the argument. This is actually, um, you know, a really simple argument. But you look at um, 
you know, uh, primary schools, which you can be independent and you can, um, you don't have to run in the government system, but you can't make a profit. This, you know, even in the education system, there is a very clear marker for for how this can work. So there's no reason this can't be applied to early education. It's just about people and people like, you know, Justin Field standing up and beginning the argument about it. But, you know, what worries me is we're not even having that discussion. We're not, there's no one even pushing that view. Um, and we're going to talk about advocacy campaigns in the next section. And, um, you know, one of the things that's going to annoy me slightly is that, you know, that, 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 that isn't an advocacy campaign at all. No one, you know, at a, at, a, at a federal level is sort of advocating that that needs to change. And, um, and that, that's kind of sad for me. Yep, sure is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to move now. We're going to go to a quick uh, musical break and then we'll be back with uh, our look at the, tw- the, year, the year in advocacy in 2019 in early childhood. So stay with us and we'll be back in just a sec. All right, welcome back. So, yes, 2019, um, look, I think every year is kind of a big year for early childhood advocacy. There's always something to be fighting for or against or looking at things. But um, when when Lisa and I were sort of... uh picking topics for, for tonight. Um, and whenever Leanne's away, we were going, oh, we know Leanne will want to be a part of that. We then sort of thought, well, there's, quite, there's just a lot, of, there's a lot of advocacy campaigns. There's a lot of issues that are really just seem to be bubbling up in 2019. So we thought we'd, we'd, we'd actually take a look at as many of them as we can um, as quickly as possible. We promise to keep ourselves as brief as possible. I haven't got a stopwatch, but, you know, we, we, if we need to get one, I can, I can quickly run and get one. Um, and we may tackle some of these individual campaigns in more detail, you know, in a single episode later. But it means we can just sort of give everyone a sense of where everything's at. Um, and particularly for me, give people some, some options if, they, if, they, if there's a particular campaign or a particular advocacy topic they have interest in, um, give some sort of ideas for action. Um, so these are, we should say there is in no particular order except the order we added them in on the, the running sheet. But um, so we we shouldn't we we shouldn't take them as any as any more important than the other. Um, but we thought we'd start with uh, probably the big political one, the one that's probably made the most headlines and made the most um, uh, you know waves into the media, which is around three year old preschool. Um, so Lisa, did you want to give us a bit of a summary of I guess um, where we're at with three year old preschool and what the sort of I guess battle lines are going to be in twenty nineteen. Okay, look, where we're at is that one or two states, I think Northern Territory, the ACT and New South Wales, if I'm not wrong, That's have right. said yes. Oh, Victoria, they, I think, have sort of announced something similar. Have said that, yes, they're going to provide funding for three-year-olds um, to attend 15 hours of preschool a week. Of course, for some of those states, like New South Wales, it's a bit of a, yeah, yeah it's not really much of a, a promise. Um, But for some of the other states, it is. More importantly, the Federal Government Labor Party have said, yes, definitely, they'll fund three-year-old preschool and they'll actually do it for a few years at a time so that it's not, you know, having to be renewed every year. Oh, I'm going to miss those, um, you know, November and December (laughs) fights for whether there'll be any preschool funding for four-year-olds next year. Haven't they been fun for the last five years? Yeah. Um, look, my, you know, that's all great. Oh, sorry. And the the coalition haven't said anything. They've just said nothing, really. So it could be that um, there's a coalition announcement before the election on it or possibly not. I think um, to me it's this, this is going to put me in a position that's a bit, you know, against a lot of the sector 
I think it's important, but I think it's a bit of a furphy. The reason being is, are we saying that early education and care is more important for three- and four-year-olds than it is for children from birth? And are we further distinguishing uh, preschool is something that needs to be funded and will be funded by the federal government, but, you know, early education and care isn't so important. So there's just, we're, we're, you know, like I think everything from birth on, if a child needs to be, you know, away from their main caregivers, then that needs to be funded and funded well. Yeah, look, Not I... just in the two years before school. Yeah, look, I, I see where you're coming from, Lisa, and um, look, I think I agree with those points. I think one of the one of the challenges of this, and this was a challenge for um, four-year-old preschool as well, is just the complexity of how this is administered. Um, so the the when uh, the universal access um, for four-year-olds, sort of partnership agreement was developed um, way back in 2009, the way it worked is that every sort of state and territory had already had, you know, uh, a different provision of, of that as well. So this this funding was sort of top up funding. So for you know for example, um, in the ACT there was already a provision for twelve hours um, a week, and then the universal uh, partnership agreement funding came in and sort of topped up the other three hours. And then that was radically different in every other state and territory. I think from from memory, Queensland had nothing. New South Wales had a had more, and it was kind of pulled back. So. The, and then that's sort of overlaid across the the early childhood education and care system you were talking about. So the complexity of all this is just always, and, and I should say it's rolled out differently in different states and territories as well. So again, in the ACT, there are purpose built government preschoolers. Uh, so purpose built government preschoolers that would be fun, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be? An amazing, um... I don't want to think about the government creating preschoolers. That's a that's a whole that's a that's a whole other. Um, the, yeah, they might get them to stock to to um to fill out like Senate inquiries that Tim Wilson's running or something. Um, so, so purpose-built government preschools and all of the uh, government, the national partnership funding is is directed directly into those. Whereas in somewhere like South Australia, there's a there's a, there's a mixed um, delivery where in some uh, you know um, long day care centres, as we would call them, as I was we wouldn't, but um, as the legislation used to call them, and there was provision for teachers to be funded through there. So, I mean, this, this is a really long this, and there, it also leaves you know the space open for fights between dedicated preschools and long daycare centres or centre-based daycare as to where the money should be going. Exactly, yeah. So this is all a very long way of saying this is, is if you sat down and started from scratch, is this the way you would do this? No. Um, but I think my view is, look, this 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 pushes the, 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 um, the, the line of the battle further down the road. So... Um, you know, there are there, those of us who advocate for you know this is, needs needs to be universal access from birth for all children. This pushes that a little bit further down the road, so it's easier for us to make the argument down the track. And and I think it's the most we're going to expect, you know, particularly Labor to announce at the moment. But what I think is that this gives us an opportunity um, for them to say, well, you've acknowledged that this is really important. So and and you've, and. Where I think we can really be um, pushing labour on this is that they've been pretty clear that this is about they've been listening to the research, so particularly the Lifting Our Game report, but also some other reports that have come out. And the research is actually really clear, is that, that well, if we really want to make gains in this space, if we really want to be supporting children's learning and well-being now and into the future, we actually need to do this earlier. So we can kind of say, well, Labor, you've listened to this research, you now need to listen to all of it and really come up with a plan to um, extend this to, to a system that... 
um, you know, is a fundamental reform and not just sort of, you know, extending the current universal partnership agreement, which is problematic and complex to, to three-year-olds, actually say, we need to do this in a more holistic and embedded way from, from birth. For sure. Yeah. So, Liam, what should listeners do immediately after finishing this episode if <laughs> they want to advocate for three-year-old preschool? Absolutely. Well, I think there's a few key things you could do. I do think, um, you know, if you're in, uh, and it, it, this always depends, this, for me, this is about political action. So this is now a political um, discussion. So one party has announced they will do it, one party has announced they won't. If, you, if you're if you in a Labor seat, so if your local member is a Labor uh, MP, I think you should congratulate them on saying, you know, thank you for, for doing this. Include some a other things. A little handwritten letter? Oh, well, handwritten, hand, you know, that, that always goes a long way. You could call as well. Um, but you could. I think it is important to when when there is a policy win, even if it's not exactly what we want, is to you know MPs value that where they're hearing from the community that this is what the community wants. So you could you know particularly the kind of thing I'd be doing is you know if you're um, you know you're in a in a service or if you're part of an advocacy campaign is maybe do a group letter with a few educators or some families as well. Um, is actually say you know thank you for for proposing this as a policy. If you're in a liberal held seat, I would be writing to them you know politely and saying you know we. we Labor has announced this policy. We think it's really important to children. You know, we will you commit to matching or maybe even doing better than three-year-old preschool? Um, I think it is really important. What you pointed out before, Lisa, is that it is really interesting. It's not that they've sort of, you know, said they won't do this. They've kind of said nothing about it, which I think because, uh, you know, Simon Birmingham, bizarrely, was one of the first sort of I people think, to raise no, this. I think they did say they'd work with the states to blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. They're not, I mean, their the current commitment to four-year-old preschool is fairly shaky. So I think we can uh, we, we we don't want to get too down the road of thinking they're they're too interested in this. But I think that with this one, this is a sort of political discussion. So I think you have to be involved in contacting your your local MP or writing to the education minister um, Dan the Man Tian or the shadow minister Amanda Rishworth um, and just sort of you know putting forward those points of view. I think this is where and particularly. Um, you know, in an election year, particularly when we're probably only three or four months away, and particularly because the coalition is fairly desperate, you know, this is where you know you, your voice as a as a citizen and your voice as a voter has much more weight in the next few months than it will have for the next few years. So, um, if this is a particular topic you're you know particularly interested in, really use that voice now. Contact your MP, contact the the ministers or the shadow ministers. For sure. Yeah. Do you have do you, any, any any other actions for that one? Do you think, Lisa? No, that'll do. I think it's good. All right, let's move on to advocacy boot camp fight number two, which is educator and early childhood teacher wages. So I might do the summary for this one, Lisa, if you like, and then okay. I'll, I'll go to you for some actions. Okay. Um, so where we're at at the moment with that, so the, the Big Steps campaign has obviously been a hugely long-running campaign. I've been uh, honoured to be a part of it for, for quite a quite a long period of time. Um, we can say that we can, with relative confidence, say that the Big Steps campaign had a pretty good win at the, towards the end of last year at Labor's National Conference when they committed to uh, addressing the issue of educator wages. Now, we covered this uh, in one of our episodes last year. We, should, we, we, we do have to preface all this by saying there is still not a formal policy announcement. We still have no idea of how much money. They still have no idea really the mechanism of how they're going to address educator wages, um, except through some, some detail they've announced around sort of working with Fair Work to uh, include a far greater emphasis on um, equal pay for, for women in the workforce. So with the caveat of we really need to see the policy in the detail of this. We can say that Labor has uh, really committed themselves to this. It's going to be very hard for them to walk it back. You know, Bill Shorten, the, the leader of the Labor Party, has stood up and said they will address this. Um, so 
the fight, I think, now that we're sort of facing in 2019 is kind of similar to preschool. We want to then go, well, you know, can we get the coalition to, to commit to anything? It doesn't seem likely, but again, you, you can never be 100% sure. But the fight is also to convince Labor to put the policy on the table. I, I, I would be really disappointed if we got to May and we got to the election without a very clear idea of how this is going to work. So I think there is still some advocacy work for educators to do to, um, you know, Put, get Labor to put the money where the mouth is and say, how is this going to work? Yep. I think that's... Did that that's, sound like a very dumb yep? <laughs> I, think <that's, laughs> I think that's the basic summary of where we're at at the moment. We should probably also just include as a little... Um, well, that sounds, you know, not fun, but not not as a not as a small sidebar, but as a, as an additional point, um, the there is still a fair work case continuing for early childhood teacher wages, which is being run by. Now I always get this mixed up, but this is one's being run by the IEU, I think, isn't it? Um, the a, the AEU and United yep. Voice case failed last year, but the IEU are continuing an early childhood teacher case. Uh, they were likely to be continuing throughout 2019. I doubt we'd get a result from that, um, but there's obviously some advocacy work to be done in that space as well. Um, so you know what the biggest um, action, listen, action that listeners should do after f- listening to this episode? I, I, I have a feeling I know where you're going, Lisa, but lay it on us. Join the bloody Join union. Join the union, mm. people. Yep. No matter what union you belong to, if you're work, you know, working for a council centre, join your council union. If you're working for a general centre, then maybe, um, you know, I'd advise if you're working as a teacher, then join the AAU or the IAU, depending upon your state. Just join a union. <laughs> it is. And look, and, you know, the Big Steps campaign has been a really long battle. And I know for a lot of people, it's been a tiring and oftentimes frustrating battle. But... You know, the, the the announcement that Bill Shorten made last year is as a direct result of, you know, educators standing up, joining their union and really beating this drum for a really long period of time. And um, I, I remember I said this in a sort of forum uh, last year, I think, that the wonderful uh, Mitchell Institute put on um, says that it's it's frustrating in Australia that the right thing often takes a really long time. So if we look at, you know, the, the, the Medivac refugee bill that's just been passed, but, you know, same-sex marriage change comes slowly in australia but it does come particularly when things are right and it's right that educators should be valued and and paid appropriately for the incredible work they do so it does take time you've got to kind of commit to the long haul um, but a big part of that is, is joining the union and then becoming active in the big steps campaign i think that's really the big action that needs to be done here for sure yeah, I think the other thing I would maybe suggest is, and look, I, 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 I'm not involved in Big Steps planning or anything, but there were obviously two walk-offs last year. Um, if there are further ones planned this year, and look, and I imagine there probably would be, is um, you know really work hard to see if you can take part. I know it can be complicated. Um, those relationships with families can often be tricky. It can be hard if you're part of a large organisation that maybe has a different view, but if in any way you can take part in those centre walk-offs, even for half a day, um, you know, or, or a couple of classrooms. Um, that, that's a really great way to, to get involved. The media love those kind of stories, and that's a great way to get coverage. For sure. All right. Now, the next one is this one's a bit of a cheat, I think, Lisa, because I think. Uh, no, I like the title. I, uh, can, can I introduce this one? Please. I, I should say this one is a little bit of cheat because I've got a feeling the only advocates for this campaign at uh, the moment are. <laughs> Oh, no, sorry. I stole it from you. No. I went, I'll stop talking. Go ahead, I'll stop talking. No, no. Go ahead. You say it. <laughs> so the, the title we have for the next one over run sheet is The Removal of the Activity Test, which I think at the moment is largely an early education show campaign, but with no planning or coordination, just us moaning on Twitter. 
Does that right? Isn't that chrysalis? <laughs> there are lots of organisations trying to change the activity test. Um, uh, uh, they're trying to say, you know, look, it's not fair on low-income earners that they're only getting those, you know, 12-hour blocks a week and that, you know, it should be expanded, etc. But we're saying, nah, look, why stuff around with the activity test? Just get rid of it. You know, it's not going to cost multi-billions worth of dollars more to get rid of it. And it's just the principle that we hate, that any child should have their early education and care limited by what their parents do yeah. or don't do. It is it is, and when you explain it to people in those terms, and it's interesting even just um, having had some conversations with families at the, the, the organisation I work for, when you explain it, because it, it's very easy to make the argument of, well, why is my taxes paying for, you know, people who aren't working, which is often um, the way it's done. But when you when you sort of really simply and clearly explain that, well, a child has no control whatsoever over their parents' roster or their parents' pay slip, is it, why, why should we be tying their... Their access or to their early education, parents' for capacity to work, exactly, you know? yeah, or or even, I mean, if we want to get right into the you know weeds of neoliberalism here, Lisa, why that we, we value the work of you know work in inverted commas of some people because it comes with a title and a pay slip over you know, the work of others, isn't actually valued exactly, and and who it's and, not yeah. work. And it's funny that the, I think there's you know a particular gender that misses out in that um, in that uh, conception of what counts as work and what doesn't. Uh, Lisa. And that's not your gender, Liam. It's not mine, unfortunately, yes. Um, so the other thing I think I want to point out here is that, um, and look, there are plenty of people out there who think um, I should not be allowed to think about advocacy, let alone talk about it. But, you know, my read of my time spent in advocacy is that the best way to, to get a win in advocacy is to have a pretty simple ask. Now, the activity test, the childcare subsidy, the funding system, the family tax benefit arrangements are incredibly complex. And then if you start talking about 12 hours or 15 exactly. hours or 18 hours or whatever, whatever, like that's just boring. Yeah. Is it know? not surely so much simpler to go, let's get rid of the activity test because it is so simple to explain to families what the or voters, families, communities, what the overall thing is. You don't have to get into the weeds of, look, if you're, you know, in this quintile, you're you stagger up to this point, but then it goes between these between twenty between two hundred thousand and three hundred thousand. It just it is an absolute nightmare. I'm getting a migraine just remembering those slides from the Department of Education to go to families to go to, to to go to voters, which you know families you know are a huge component of. To go at the moment to access early education, you have to meet a work test. We don't think that's fair. Why don't we get rid of it? That's such a simpler, clearer, and it also doesn't hurt Lisa that it's the right thing to do. Even have a hashtag at one stage that was like ban the test or yeah, ban the yeah. test years ago. We had a no activity test. Is that about nuclear power or something that we could get rid of? I had, <laughs> I think I had children are learners, not leaners. I quite like that one. No, we definitely had one that we all worked on. You know, for ages, no activity test or something like that. Oh I can't remember. It. This is not a very professional at campaign. At least three remember. or four years ago, yeah. And um, I think we did it for a few years and then got a bit bored with it. Okay. Well, I've forgotten about it, so clearly we got very bored with it. <laughs> um, so this is a tricky one, Lisa. Can I, I'm going to give you the tricky question. So what should listeners do if this is something they agree with us on? What, what is, there, is there something people can do? Is something Actually, I'm, I'm asking you personally, what can I do about this? What 
can you do? You can get on the no activity test bandwagon. You can tell your peak organisations that you want them to fight for no activity test rather than a, a modified version of it. And you can write to um, Amanda Rishworth as the uh, shadow minister and tell her how the activity test has affected families at your centre that would be getting a lot out of early education and care if they could. And you can send a letter to Dan Tahan. Remember him? He's still a Vaguely. He hasn't said anything about education and care for... Oh. We had a okay. rot alert not too long ago, I don't think, I think oh, we had a rot alert yeah, early in January. He Jan. did a, a rot alert early this year, but he is still theoretically our minister, <laughs> so you can write to him and say, yeah, what about saying no activity test? Yeah, we don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, and I should say, we're not singling out Dan T in here. I mean, really, the government is really only theoretically a government right now, so he's not, he's not, <laughs> he's not alone. But I think they're kind of doing some things in other areas. He just seems to have really become a bit bored with early education. Mm. Well, obviously, the sector's perfect and there's nothing to be working on. Yeah. What precisely. are we complaining about? Oh, okay. All right. So our next one is we, we've sort of had to combine a few different things under a bit of a banner here, but we're looking at um, uh, qualifications and how that sort of particularly links with with quality in early education services and regulations and red tape and those kind of things. And um, look, we should say this is, you know, even we're only sort of, you know, in mid through February, and this has already been a pretty big battleground in 2019. We've heard a lot of, I guess, how we would term probably maybe interesting statements from a few key stakeholders, particularly in New South Wales, around um, that regulations are driving up price and making life very difficult for for businesses. I mean, families. Um, do you mean for interesting? <clears throat> do you actually mean batshit crazy? Um, look, that, that that would be you know that could be another word you could use for yeah for the, okay. the word I've used there. You know, I yeah. couldn't possibly yeah. comment, Lisa. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, look, Lisa, I look, some, there is obviously there's some specific New South Wales things here, but there's also a bit of a national. Um, there's obviously a, there's, a, there's currently a um, review going into uh, the, the Certificate 3 and Diploma qualifications. There's, um, there's uh, the uh, – what was I about to say there? I was about to say the NQF review, but we're actually going to cover that as a separate point later on. Um, but what always tends to happen, and people – um, you know, if you were interested at all in the um, the lead up to the 2016 election campaign and the 2013 campaign, regulation always tends to become a big issue, particularly for the coalition government. They talk about driving down, you know, getting rid of regulation and regulation makes our life terrible and appalling. Um, we'll be starting to hear things about, you know, how it doesn't, you know, why do we need so many early childhood teachers working with with babies, aren't they just babysitters? Um, so, you know, this fight, I think, will be somewhat around the election, but I think also just around, you know, as a sector, I think, standing up for ourselves and and, uh, and reminding often, sometimes, unfortunately, people in our sector, but we're reminding people outside the sector of we actually need to stand up and fight for, for, for regulation and we just need to fight for, for the qualifications and quality of teachers. And I think that's going to be, I think we're going to have to invest some time in that in that battle in 2019. Yes, um, absolutely, yeah, and one of the things that I'd really encourage people to do is to get um, into that review of the Certificate 3 and the Diploma. Do you know the the timing on that, Leo? I think it's actually not that far away, so this episode will be out uh, February, uh, Friday, February the uh, 15th, and I think I have... 
I'm going to have to remember, uh, I think it's the 22nd it ends. It's sort of late February, so I don't think we're too far away from um, submissions being due for that one. So what what do people have to do to make a, a submission? So we'll include a link in the show notes to the, the website, um, but you, you I, I, I'd have to, I'm, I'm trying to remember back when I had a last look at it, but I think it's not that hard to make a submission. And you can, there are some, a number of key questions that the, uh, the, um, the, uh, the skills IQ, I think, who they call it now, have yep. um, have prepared to do. You can you can answer sort of questions and um, look. It's not. I'm I'm not going to pretend to anyone. It's going to be a particularly fun or exciting use of your time. But um, it really gets to that idea of educator quality and what we should be um, teaching. Uh, you know, graduates coming through those systems, and it's so critically important that the sector's voice is heard in that. Um, we we know what the issues are. We we can see what some of the issues are, particularly with some of the really dodgy providers around RTOs. We can see the issues as people come who aren't prepared to work with young children. Um, our voices really need to be heard. So if you can, if you have the capacity, really worth doing. Yeah, and you were right. Um, they're available for comment on the website until the 28th of February. Oh, 28th. Much better. That's good. Yep. And look, one of the things that I, I'd like to and says oh and there's workshops happening around the country um right now like this week oh wow there's one in canberra tomorrow oh must check my um, calendar adelaide on friday perth on monday oh, but this we don't come out till friday so there's one in perth on monday darwin on wednesday and alice springs um on thursday of next week um, and the new package will come out by June 2019. But one of the things that people, like, that I often hear when I'm travelling around the sector is people are uh, making comments about um, the quality of trainees that are coming out of um, the Cert 3 and Diploma or the quality of, of workers, educators that are coming out of that. If that is one of your issues, then this is the way to impact upon that. Absolutely, and look more. You know, there's there's always endless consultations, and this time of year, I think, is tricky to to be doing that. But um, the, the I, same with you, Lisa. I hear this sort of all the time, and this is really the time to be to be having a say in that. Um, so, what should listeners do immediately after finishing this episode? Go onto that website and make a comment. Yeah, but I think speaking generally, Lisa, as well about, and obviously. Um, you know, we've been hearing a lot, particularly from some for-profit advocacy groups around how, um, you know, potentially wanting to, to draw back regulation, saying we don't need enough, we don't need more teachers, we, we need less teachers working Can with young children. Can you stop, stop giving that any legitimacy? Well, I, I think, but look, that's a, that's a view that's out there, Lisa. So I think even if well, we just quickly talk about what should people do. about it. <laughs> yeah. But do, is there anything you, you would recommend people when and if people... Yeah, if people hear anyone saying that they, you know, that we don't need teachers, um, show them the research that says that um, you should participate in debates on online forums around it. But above all, if it's your organisation, if it's your peak organisation that's saying that, Tell them to pull their socks up. <laughs> Is there like a really great article written by someone for mm-hmm. some great, you know, online? Um... I couldn't say there's a great article, but yes, I did write an article for Women's <laughs> Agenda about this, and um, 
it's floating around online, or I'm sure you could link to it in the show notes. Liam. Absolutely, and that's a really uh, good, yeah, that's a that's a really good one to send it to people if um they're if they're not sure about the the research and why you know quality um, educators uh, with with high levels of qualifications is so important to young children. Really great article, Lisa. Thank you. Um, we were we were sincere there for a brief moment, Lisa. Wasn't that nice? Yeah. Let's not do that too often, though. No, we should banter more. We should banter more. <laughs> um, all right. Now, oh, God, here we, here's some good opportunity for banter. So this is the advocacy fight that will never die, particularly on this podcast, but professional development. So this, I mean, this has been a fight really since 20, um, well, really since 2013, but, you know, 2016 when the funding for the uh, professional support coordinators was ended. We had a sort of blip of a year with the Long Day Care Professional Development Fund, which only uh, went to some services under the NQF. Um, but, uh, you know, Lisa, you, you, the, I know this has been a particular um, topic of yours for your, your time in the advocacy space in the charter. Do you want to give us a brief... I think I probably just have given probably enough of a yeah, brief summary. Look, but I think you have, you know. We've had funded professional development for this sector for, you know, certainly the 20 years that I've been in the sector, and I suspect, oh God, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? <laughs> maybe it isn't that many. Maybe I'm making that up. Um, uh, the, but it, we've had it for a long time, probably even beforehand. That was kind of given to us by previous governments on a few grounds. One was that, you know, people earn so little in this sector that you could hardly expect people that are paid a pittance to pay for their own PD. But second, also just recognition of the fact that unlike schools or something, we work in small workplaces. So if you're a teacher in an education care centre, you may be the only teacher in that education care centre. So you're professionally isolated. And also because this is an area where so much is happening so quickly. We're learning more about babies' brains, about young how young children learn. So because of all of those reasons, and because despite the push to upgrade us to a Cert 3 and, um, uh, uh, you know, diplomas or teaching degrees, because, despite those, there's still, you know, it's a relatively unskilled workforce. And so because of that, it was all it was decided that we really needed to get more um, funding, you know, or to get more professional development for people. And so there's been funded professional development. And then Scott Morrison, when he was minister for our area, just said, no, it's an industry, it's a business, we don't pay for anyone else's professional development, why should we pay for the education and care sectors? And so he took it all away. And so yeah. we've got to get it back. Not a nice guy, that guy. I'm glad he didn't go anywhere further than, than that. Yeah, he yeah. did learn. Oh, no. He did. Oh, yeah. well, oh, God. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I entirely 100% agree with everything Lisa just said. There's a couple of quick things I'd add here. One is, um, and you've sort of said this, Lisa, but I'll just really crystallise it as well, is that um, continuous improvement of, of individual educators is is critical to an education system so the primary and secondary systems have built in you know regulatory requirements for professional development you know that um, teachers can't remain accredited as teachers unless they are accessing a certain amount of pd and most states um regardless of conservative or or, or labor 
um, lefty governments have some sort of funded PD requirement. So this really gets to our professional identity, isn't it, as a part of the education sector. This is something we should, this is a minimum requirement. I really wish I was in the advocacy space arguing for more PD and better PD, but the fact is we just have to be arguing for anything at the moment is really disappointing. Um, the other thing is I think there's a real risk with this issue, and I actually feel this with myself personally sometimes, is that this this is an issue that I think can really quickly slip down the bottom of the ladder. Um, it it kind of seems like this thing that's a little bit separate to everything else. But like I said, it is incredibly critical. And I worry that because it's been so long since we had, since the, the professional support coordinators were around, I worry that, you know, if this continues for much longer, we'll, we'll actually lose a lot of sector memory and a lot of institutional memory around, well, no, we had this. And it was really, and whether you agreed or disagreed with specific detailed decisions that the individual PSEs were making, the fact that they were there and were doing that, you know, really quite relatively low cost, easy to access and, sector-targeted professional development. I worry that, you know, in a few years we'll have, um, you know, organisations and advocates that don't really remember that. And, it, and, it, and again, it slips down even lower down the list. Um, an example of that kind of is that the last federal election, so this is 2016, Labor went to that with a, I think it was around a $50,000 um, early educator PD policy. We've heard nothing from them about PD this time, which, look, there's still plenty of time for that announcement to be made. But it kind of feels to me a bit like they've made all their early education announcements. It would kind of be a little bit odd if they suddenly did another random one. That that would be a huge worry for me if we then, if you know, the the main progressive party in this country were not trying to address this issue at all. So we really need to keep this front of mind, and we really need to keep fighting for this one. Yeah, and I heard Amanda Rishworth talking the other day, and she did talk about um, a workforce plan. And um, it's just essential that within whatever workforce plan she's got in mind that funded professional development is part of it. Yeah. So in terms of, I think, probably, Lisa, what we'd both say is what listeners should do if this is a big issue would be um, write to, to Amanda Rishworth, the Shadow Minister. I mean, write to, to Dan Tien as well um, around a business issues. I would also really recommend in this issue write to your local, um, your state, uh, representatives as well. There is definitely a space for. There's no reason state governments couldn't fund PD individually themselves. Um, I, look, I know personally, uh, we've been doing a lot of advocacy with ACT government around saying there's no reason you couldn't step in this space. Um, we haven't been successful there at the moment. Um, but this doesn't necessarily just have to be a federal thing. We, you know, talk with your local um, MLCs, MPs. Um, we have members of the Legislative Assembly in the ACT. Um, you know, put pressure on whoever you can to say this is this is critical. Um, there's a lot of research um, that's crystal clear around you know that educators have to maintain and improve their skills to to continue um, staying. As you said, Lisa, there's new, we, we learn new things about how important these first five years are all the time. Um, we need to make sure there's PD available for educators to get that knowledge. Yep, for sure. All right, we've done very. We've been very disciplined, Lisa. I think we've only spent a few minutes on each one. We're on to the last one now, which is the uh, the announced NQF review, which was announced sort of late last year, and will be um, kicking off soon. I would, or probably technically has already. We haven't sort of got any detail around that. But now you know what, I'm really sad about this because this is the one I tried to research, and I contacted all the people that I thought would know about it and put a call out to Twitter to tell me what's actually happening with it because, you know, we haven't, like, we know that at the end of the eight, uh, end of last year that there was um, a, uh, uh, a decision by the education ministers, by the Education Council, 
um, to have an NQF review. Well, you know, we really knew it was coming up anyway, um, but, you know, they they had put it into their communique saying that they had endorsed terms of reference for it. And um, uh, what they said was that the 2019 review will consider a number of issues impacting the early childhood education and care sector, including recommendations arising from the Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse as they relate to the NQF and services regulated under the NQF and recommendations arising from Education Council's Family Daycare Program of Work. So, wrought alert. <laughs> but all the people that I asked didn't, haven't come back to me yet or didn't know as much as I thought they would. So, um, you know, all I can say is that somebody, and I'll give him a call out, thanks, Jason Roberts, answered my call and said that... Um, he said that they're putting out, like I specifically wanted to know where are the terms of, reg, uh, of um, reference. And he said they're due out in March or April. That's a little later than expected due largely to the fact that the release will be accompanied by an issues paper that's taking a little longer to finalise. Now, I also know that the New South Wales government, the New South Wales Department of Education, is the one that's leading this particular review. And um, uh, yeah, often, often, sometimes in New South Wales, things take time. <laughs> so it could be that all of the states are disagreeing on what goes in that, um, in that issues paper, or it could be that it's sitting on Dan Tahan's desk and hasn't been signed off. Or it could be the fact that there's elections happening all over the place means that it's nobody's priority, but we haven't got them yet. Yeah. I think we should say this needs to stay on people's radar for 2019 because this is where, you know, the big regulatory changes to the sector are made. So um, the, the, the first NQF review led to the cutting of the number of elements from the National Quality Standard from 58 to 40. Um, so new, uh, the ability for, you know, more than one nominated supervisor, just a couple of examples. So these are, you know, the, um, these are the, the, the big changes that can really affect how we operate and manage the sector. So there's positives and negatives to that. You know, the, the most extreme negative example might be a real slashing of regulatory requirements, particularly around um, quality area two, children's health and safety. I, I hope that's you know, not not likely to happen, um, or we could get some really good changes that are, you know, improve yeah, outcomes for I children. Asked yeah, at the political forum the other night for New South Wales, I asked them, um, all of the people, all of the political people, what are they called, members of parliament, <laughs> if um, if they'd, politicians, that's what they're called, if they'd I like political people. That's bad. any, any you know, cuts to the NQIF, and they all said, no, no, we won't wind back any of it. And I said, okay, how about a one to three ratio? And the New South Wales Minister, Sarah Mitchell, said, well, if that's on the radar of services, you should tell about tell us about it. And she said, "Is it on the radar of services?" <laughs> and there was a resounding yes in the room mm. to for the review to look at one to three for under oh, two year olds. Oh, yay! So you know, if that's what you want out of this review, a better ratio. You know, I would say that every listener to this, um, especially those that are in Victoria, would say no under the roof line ratios. Yeah, okay, wouldn't because that be that's something that makes people very angry, because it just means that you've got not enough educators working with the children that need to be there. Yeah, 
that 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 regulation was designed by someone who has never actually been an educator. Yeah. Um, now, now the big problem with that, Lisa, is as one of the architects, along with Leanne, of the famous one to four make it law campaign. What would the one to three one? One be? to three, let it let it be. Be let it be. One yep, to three, let it three, be. Let it be. Oh God, do you reckon the Beatles would give you access to that song? <laughs> I think they're pretty cheap. I don't think it'd cost that much. Yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> If you find yourself with high ratios, no, let's not go down, let's not go down that road. Um, no, singing <laughs> on the podcast probably isn't going to be. That's right. You we, know, we, the most. Um, um, no, yeah, the if we look, if we if we ever do a musical episode, we have Red Ruby Scarlet available for that. Who um, oh, yes, is, has yes. the both skills, qualifications, and ability, which neither yeah. of us have. Um, so that's definitely NQF review. I think is one to stay on the radar. So I think in terms of what we should do is really just wait until there's something to do. But likely there will be um, there will be uh, consultation forums that'll go around the country. Um, there'll be opportunities to contribute to um, regulatory impact statements. I remember the good old RISs from the last one. Uh, and then, but so this one will be a bit of wait and see as we as we find out. But um, it's a good time, you know, to have conversations maybe with your colleagues and your services and your peak organisations if you're in there and find out what you do stand for and see if you can get a groundswell for things like one to three for infants and, and other areas. And it might be just that one little regulation that gives you the shit. Yeah, absolutely. You yep. can find it in there. Maybe you can have a little competition about which is the one that's the, the most infuriating and see if you can get that one changed. Okay, is that us? I think we're done. I think we've cut that is the boot camp for 2019 advocacy pretty well done. Um, so uh, we hope it's been been useful, people. We know, well, this re- looking you know back over the run sheet, we're asking a lot of people, which I know, but um, you know, this is the work of early childhood advocates. And but you, you know what? You don't have to do it all. Pick the issue that really, you know, that uh, every time you hear about it, you go, stand still, my beating heart. You know? <laughs> Choose the one that you love or hate or whatever. And do something about it. Yeah, and look, and, and if if you are doing some actions on any, any of these or if you're planning on them, you know, let us know on our Facebook page or hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to hear what people are doing. You know, speaking of Red Ruby Scarlet, I saw that she posted a very good thing on Facebook today, which was that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So she's going to do some advocacy for children for Valentine's Day because she really loves children. Oh, and I thought that was a good thing to do. Look, Red is a classic example of the advocate who never stops. Um, we've got a lot to learn from her. She's always uh, coming up with some pretty incredible things to 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 um, to do advocacy in a whole range of areas. Um, and we should say, um, I don't know, but this is it feels like crazy. We're making formal announcements, but um, the Red and the Social Justice and Early Childhood Group have invited us back to to do another episode at their Social Justice Conference uh, this year in July. So. That'll I didn't happening. know that. I that was I definitely put in an email to you at some point, Lisa, but it was a while ago. Oh. But, um, <laughs> but, but uh, so that's exciting. So we'll be um, you know doing some more stuff there. But um, that's quite a while away. So thanks everyone for listening. We hope it was sort of helpful. Again, reach out to us if um, you have any questions or if there's particular things you're doing. We'd love to hear what you're up to. But um, we'll be back. I think all three of us will be back next week yes. with a with another fun discussion. So until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com 
And while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.